all know some industry is hard to change, and then we are all complain about it. Financial service is one of them. Maybe healthcare is one of them. You know, because we all know because they are important. That's why. Oh, we want to make sure it works. But really comes into the approach of doing things instead of like rejecting or do not do something risky、uh, or the taking a passive view. We can take a more active view of always taking a risk-based approach、uh, principle. And then、uh, combine knowing that what's the risk we're taking, control the risk, and then having using technology to help on that because、uh, in the past it's all controlled by human, right? So using the technology to help at that, and then kind of、uh, using that as a design thinking or design principle, then that's how we can really change it. This is Startup Island Taiwan, the channel all about cutting edge technology. Influential global tech players and Taiwan. Hello and welcome back to Startup Island Taiwan, the podcast all about the latest news and the trends involving startups and other innovation enterprises in Taiwan. I'm your host Yuli. Today we're having Cassie here. Cassie is the founding partner manager and the first few employees of Lead Bank, the industry leading bank as a service partner for fintechs. Before joining Lead Bank, Cassie also the previous product manager of Square. She helping build Square Lending for the SMB lending product and the banking product. Set up and open its own bank, Square Financial Service, in 2020 during the pandemic time. It's a de novo bank set up in the U.S. She also an early member of firm and team and Cloudflare, which is、uh, have a lots of experiencing, including a SaaS product, including a fintech product. Her background is a software engineer at Salesforce in the early 2010s, and built a SaaS product and platform. Also, her background is very diverse, with both software engineer, finance, and business background. And she got her MBA in Chicago, and also she's a CPA. She really see the same pain point across fintech for the last five to ten years. So that's why she joined the bank in 2022. Please say hi to everyone. Hi everyone. Hi, I'm Kathy. It's my pleasure to be here on this podcast. I came to、uh, Bay Area and Silicon Valley ten plus years ago, since 2010, starting as a software engineer, but then also really see the fintech evolving in the Silicon Valley and how it changed the entire world. So, so honored to be able to share some experience here with everyone. Do you mind, like, quick introduce yourself? For example, like, why you start want to join fintech? I mean, you have a virtual background, you have accounting, finance background, and also your software engineering background. But why you choose this? So I think there are two main reasons. The first is really just curious about it, like. You said well, I have education, like double major in computer information science side, but also the accounting side. At the very beginning, I was really a pure software engineer. But then, when things get very popular in the Bay Area for everything about mobile and the platform, I was like. Five six years in, I kind of want to see a different industry coming up, and then also another thing is that hey, I have all this financial background. At the very beginning, you know, after I graduated my college, I was thinking about if I need to go to finance instead of software, but I chose software because I want to build product. And also with the timing of the around twenty fourteen twenty fifteen is the first generation. That's how I called it, the first generation of fintech just IPOs.、Uh, I don't know if people are familiar, but Square at IPO around of twenty thirteen fourteen time, and then another big one, Lending Club. 
for all these online learning platforms. So I saw that there is a new industry coming and they can perfectly combine my software and the finance and accounting background. So I really want to give it a try. And that's why I kind of lead me into and got lucky to join a firm, which I can see the early stage of a currently very successful uh, fintech product. But then that's when kind of the leading to kind of a veteran in the fintech technology. To be very honest, I was tired of fintech once in a while. And that's why <laughs> between my school and a firm, I went to a totally different industry, Cloudflare, which is a cloud network SaaS and security, you know. So that's kind of, I got away, but I feel like there's more things to do here. So that's kind of the whole reason. And then that's kind of the reason drive me to join Square and now at the lead bank, that kind of a small startup bank to try to change the things. Yeah, you mentioned about some history about fintech. And I, can you give us an industrial overview for the fintech? Yeah, so it's very interesting that fintech, this topic was getting so popular in, you know, pandemic time and everybody just said that they are the fintech company. But since I was lucky to be here in the Bay Area, I was able to see few iterations. So usually this is how I categorize it. Before 2015, you know, after financial crisis and then before 2015, it's kind of the first generational evolution of fintech. And that's when Square was built because, hey, there should be an easier way for taking the payments at the offline market. That's also what getting really popular is like lending club. There's a lending because after financial crisis, people are not able to get the money from the bank. So there's a lot of alternative lending. So the online marketplace of matchmaking becomes very popular. So there are like lending club, Prosper in the US, they all get IPO, it's around that time. When they successfully get IPO, there's another generation of the new product, fintech product, financial product or financial technology companies join. And somehow coming from, instead of this online marketplace view, it can't somehow break into the different product area. And it was not so obvious in 2015, but then now in, you know, as a high side 2023, different categories of products that people are building and trying to revolutionize it. One is lending, right? And lending, they evolve from the marketplace lending, which is really just matchmaking or marketing side. Coming back to underwriting side, they want to create a different model and then on the writing side to give a better credit to the people who don't have it. And also the new market, kind of a new style of lending. That's why now very popular buy now pay there. So Affirm, Afterpay, and Clara, all these kind of popular terms coming and now, you know. 2023, Apple also joining by now pay later. It's actually a lot behind that. We can talk about later. And then another very popular one is payments and API, right? So there are P2B payments or the merchant taking payments from customers. So really kind of a square from the offline case to the online case. That's where Stripe and Adian, they are so popular right now. When people think about payment API, that's them. And also, there's a debit card and checking, right? Um, so this really is kind of the P2P payment, Venmo and Cash App has been coming. And then also like debit card provider, which is Chime, which is like, hey, no cost, low cost, debit card, and you can spend everywhere. Chime and Cash App is kind of the two leaders right now in the US market. Then investment and wealth management, everybody heard about Robinhood. So know how much of a greatness and uh, you can say impact of the entire investment society. And then Another one really popular is the cross-border transfer, which is transfer-wise remittance because the previous few I really kind of focus about. This is kind of a history in the U.S. market, right? I think the interesting about finance is it's kind of a international, but it's also local. So all the previous ones are more the U.S. focused. 
a kind of a companies, but then there are a lot of uh, cross-border transfers. The need is over coming in, so the transferwise remittance, and that's why they all kind of are more focusing on a better user and developer experience to make the payment or the finance experience better. Then comes into crypto, right? Crypto is also evolving. Uh, you know, after the financial crisis, but now the first hype of it is around 2014 or 15. I forgot. That's when people start to notice there is the Bitcoin, and then Bitcoin can be used because of the real-time settlement. So popular, start to use it as a cross-border transfer. So it's kind of the mix of 2015 to 2013 kind of evolve, and then Bitcoin get popular. That's kind of what I see as a fintech, and then leading to 2020, 2021, a lot of these. Previous I mentioned company get public, and then people pandemic came, and then people see more opportunities and more needs when offline payment has become impossible. Then kind of coming into this new era of this fintech that we are in today, and the really change of I think what I observe at least in the kind of investment side and the industry growing side is in 2015 to 2020, this company are trying to really improve and focusing on the user experience. They make it frictionless. They make everything you know on your app, and everything is easy to do. Then they all realize two things. One thing is they are getting popular in one product line. But for more growth, they inevitably have to jump into a different product line. So you know, more like moving into WeChat style, like the super app of of financial prices. But the second one is really no matter how good you can improve your user experience, front end experience, or application experience, whatever is the bottleneck is the infrastructure, which is the underlying payment system in the U.S. If you want to transfer money in the lowest cost way, which is ACH, inevitably you will take two days at least to make it happen, and something it might be longer. And this is not because of this technology is not good. It's just because the underlying settlement of the moving money eventually need to be through all the banks and the U.S. banking network, and the technology over there is so old, there was never upgraded. So they realize there is no way to get the financial service better or more flexible unless you improve the infrastructure, and that's when a new term come up called banking as a service. Or investment in the financial infrastructure. If you listen to some venture capital, they'll talk about it. So, Kaze, I have a quick question about underlying because some of our audience probably they are not like same background. So, can you talk more about what's underlying? This is like very important in financial services. Can you tell us more about the underlying infrastructure? There's actually a lot going there. So, think about. How you can pay money,、uh, and then for sure this is more of the U.S. infrastructure. So not really to every country has their own different infrastructure. But in the U.S., the U.S. have six thousand banks. They can be categorized into this giant bank like Chase and Wells Fargo, Bank of America, City, or this regional bank, which we are very familiar, like a Silicon Valley Bank or whoever bought them. And then there are also around four or five thousand of other community banks. Or maybe another four thousand of credit unions in Taiwan. It's just like 信用合作社农会 So it kind of comes into the history of how the financial system is built in the country. But in the U.S., a lot of these community banks they are like only have one or two branches, and especially a lot of these community banks are in the Midwest of the U.S. because they come from this all agricultural time, the industrial timing. A lot of banks they are serving local. 
But anyways, comes into the U.S. If you want to move money between different accounts in different banks, there are three main ways. One is ACH, which is more like a bank transfer, and ACH is your automatic clearing house. It's the underlying infrastructure they are using. The protocol was governed by the consortium of the bank. The technology was built around 35, 40 years ago, and then they have a certain level of limitation of technology that you can only settle the next day or two days, and then. Something you know up there. There's an ACH. It's the most common way, and that's how we get the payment from you know paycheck and everything. The other one is a uh, wire. Wire we all know, you know, wire is just a common term. But US there's a domestic wire, and then the SWIFT is actually international wire. So they are all protocols. And the third one is cash. Right, cash we all know. Actually, there's a fourth one. Fourth one through card network, and that's why Visa Master. So a little bit of history here. Visa is coming from Bank of America. So Bank of America, the kind of the kind of I forgot how many years ago they started credit card business, and then independently have Visa. But no matter what technology, when you put money, there basically two routes. One route is the data route. The other route is the money route. So the data is what actions you have to do to move your money. The money is、uh, when the actual money delivers in the U.S.、Uh, no matter which data route, like car is its own data route, and then check or you know ACH is own data route. It has to be settled, so the money need to be always come through the bank. So that's why the infrastructure of even though that you swipe something with credit card, you pay something with credit card, it really is only on the data side they get complete. But the actual money movement is still coming into between the banks. Need to move the money. They are still using Y or ACH. Uh, so Cassie, may I learn about Bitcoin? Did you see Bitcoin bring any like evolution or any impact in the fintech field? Yeah. So just like what I say, very more specific. Bitcoin is kind of a token generated on this Bitcoin blockchain, right? So the blockchain technology also started after the financial crisis. So you can see that previously I said, hey, all this money movement, the ACH or wire, they are the protocol, and then they are the one to you know use for moving money. And after financial crisis,、uh, the key is it's centralized because all of this control is controlled by the central network or the banks. And now maybe after the financial crisis, people are thinking those people are not really capable of owning those data or perform those transactions for us. So I would say that blockchain is kind of also another way of hey. If the protocol is so old, and then we don't really trust the people who manage the protocol for such important thing, then the evolution is that why can't we use the new technology similar to the distributed computing system concept, which is distributed, you know, the distributed ledger, so everyone can own the ledger instead of a bank to keep track for all of you. So that's why that Bitcoin also evolved, and then there's definitely another benefit of it. The biggest one or biggest use case of the blockchain at the very beginning really is for cross-border transfers. The reason is in the U.S., all the U.S. dollar settlement will take a day or two or so many limitations. But people really just want to transfer money immediately and freely. In using the blockchain of Bitcoin protocol, they are able to really settle instantly across the network, which is not controlled by the centralized parties without any disruption. So that's why you know those are kind of the underlying infrastructure. Another evolution coming up is the Bitcoin and all the crypto related. Crypto is a use case for the blockchain technology, right? So I don't have to explain that. 
there are definitely a lot of interest and beliefs in the blockchain and the Bitcoin or the crypto areas here. And we see a lot of applications coming up. Wow, that's so cool. So, Cassie, did you see the like new trend or that new evolution well happening in the fintech field? Yes. So, as I said, like, after 2020, a lot of the fintech, as I mentioned earlier, one thing that I have to do is to keep growing. And then they probably do so good in one area and now just want to provide more of a holistic financial services. So they just need to like bring in to the more different product combinations together. And biggest example is like this P2P payment cash app that starts to go into deposit, especially right now, the interest rate is so high, right? So they're coming in deposit. And those who are good in payment going to deposit, those good in deposit, which is trying want to go into lending. And those are good in the lending or investment go into, you know, the dropping could also go to deposit and lending. So it's really just a general financial services. So it's a trend of like these fintech companies trying to do the business as the bank does. And then another thing booming during the pandemic time is e-commerce. And e-commerce is where usually where you spend the money. But they also consider there's also a new kind of a trend that's called embedded finance. Is hey, you want to buy something from here or me? But also... Uh, we can provide buy now, pay later services to you if you need to buy something and you just don't have immediate money for it. So that becomes the mix of all this trend. And then the one important thing is for those fintech companies who want to perform all these services, they cannot do it without banks uh, because eventually the money still need to move. And then only the banks can connect to the money movement network and then really move the money, which is why a lot of the pain points for a fintech company comes up. As a technology company, we want product to evolve quickly. We want things to do quickly. But this is kind of from my first-hand experience. Company like Square, like a firm, like them, you never know. It's first time when they try to launch a product. It takes around 9 to 12 months to integrate with the bank. And the pain points are two. First, when you try to launch a product, even though it's a long product or the payment product, you want to have a bank to work with you. Bank first need to understand what the product is. And uh, there's a reason because there's a reason these fintech companies are working with smaller bank instead of Chase and Goldman Sachs because big bank doesn't really care about this revenue. And then smaller bank, you know, community bank, they don't understand technology. So there's always a lot of complaints or resentments. As a PM in a fintech, you have to explain every little detail to the banks and they don't understand. And they are so afraid of everything. Like, oh, we are using underwriting model. You know, we can provide a loan to, you know, someone with FICO score lower than 600. The only thing that banker will think about, wait, 500 is a subprime. I'm not getting to the subprime asset myself. So first, they don't understand about the product. Second is there are some risk averse, right? So they don't want to do something they don't know. But this is exactly what fintech company is doing. And the third thing is the bank technology is not good. So as a fintech developer, everything right now in the year of 2023, I will say, hey, then I will. I want to connect to API. I want to work with your development team, right, in the bank. The reality is, is most of the bank in 
community bank. They do not have a development team. They probably don't have an employee called product manager. They only have an employee called project manager. And most of their underlying technology, they use vendors. So they really only have a one IT person or few IT person to manage their computer and system. So that's why FinTech side is very frustrated because I want to do a product and no one can understand. They're so reserved, so they have all the way to say no. And then they couldn't really keep up with the speed that we were developing. And then that is just the reality. So all this first generation fintech company, they all built on this environment. And it really doesn't change for the past 10 years. So that's why all the frustrations come in. But another thing is you cannot do all the services without the bank partners. So there are two choices. One is, you know, either you convince a bank and then the bank do something for you. But most of the time is because bank doesn't have a technology to support a program or the product. They will ask you as the fintech company to build every system that needed for them, but they can, you know, audit or see everything because bank is liable and it's kind of a legally the who is responsible for the product. So that's the key. There's a kind of a, this conflict of bank doesn't do anything, but bank has everything to say about the product and then they are uh, making money out of it. So that's kind of a lot of frustration and resentment uh, between a fintech company and a bank. So that's why it really is the blocker of a lot of the innovation and revolution, evolutions of fintech companies, because I don't have a time for six months, 12 months to build a new product. And I don't know if it will be successful or not. That alone, I don't know if the bank will say, yes, we can do the product. So that's why there are more and more investment into this banking as a service part. So there are kind of two approaches coming up. First, there are some products so popular and every fintech company want to have. It's more like a credit card or debit card, right? A lot of fintech company, they want to have this debit card. It's kind of semi-modulized already in a lot of processes. But if for each fintech, the smaller fintech want to have a debit card, that's their first thing. But if they don't have nine months or the money to build an entire system, so there are some banking and service company come up and say, hey, there has been a pattern of how this product being built, but it's built for these like big companies, a Square or Cash, they have it figured out. What if I also be the infrastructure or platform provider? I am responsible to connect to all the banks because there are also many banks that are interested in this business. And then I build this layer of the platform. All you new fintech just only need to work with me. And then you can launch your product in three to six months, you know, half of the time. So that's kind of the one generation, a new approach to solve the problem. And a company called like Unit or uh, Modern Treasury, they're all more like this type of platform player. They work with multiple banks, but they build their own technology layer. Then they work with these interested customers or clients to launch the products. So they become the one who help matchmaking and then they become the technology provider. And then they deal with most of the bank. They can convince the bank to join first and bank will adopt their standard and then they can provide to more customers. So that's one of the approach for the banking platform provider now. And the other one, which is Bank, and at least is my personal background, we kind of are learning from when I was back in Square. In year 2022, Square actually opened a bank itself. So it was the only two banking licenses have been given out to tech companies after like 14, 15 years. 
So I was actually there helping to open the bank, and there are a bunch of work that I need to do to enable the system. And system is a reflection of processes, and process is a reflection of controls. And what we really believe is, if you only have a technology there, but without understanding the underlying control or thought process. And the regulation and what can be done there, it really is just a short-term solution. But how to really solve it is really you as the bank have the technology capability, but more importantly, has a more forward-looking leaders in the compliance side and the financial management, the banking management side. And then you work with them to understand what can be done and what cannot be done. And you alter your technology and your system. During these changes, you change the processes, then you change the, it reflects the process on the system and you build your system to platform. So that can be better reflect and make everything more flexible in the future. And it's also the bank leaders, you know, responsibility to work with the regulators to make the regulators feel comfortable. We are structuring certain things that we are taking as something, a principal risk. But then because our technology can helping us to monitor the risk way better than the old traditional way. Hence, we don't need to put so much, so heavy of the control on every step and operationally. So it's kind of the concept of you change within. Technology is a reflection of the operation and the governance. And the governance is how much risk you can take and how comfortable you feel about technology can help you manage it. So it's kind of a second approach. And that's what we at the lead bank, that our CEO, Jackie Reese, who was our banking and capital lead when I was at Square. So we kind of take the approach. So uh, she found a company, we joined them. Is what Lee is doing. And on the market, there's a few other companies. And one more famous one is Column. Column is founded by Will Hockey, which is a co-founder of Plaid. So we are kind of the two new generation of a bank who just start to try to make this work. Jackie Reese's, which is a legend in the fintech, in the investment, and in lots of the field in, in the States, especially Silicon Valley. So like this is really kind of revolution. And I was working a certain project about fintech before, so I can totally understand the pain point, you know, to have a conversation with the bank and they are very conservative. But of course they should conservative because it's everything about money. So we have to really, really carefully about each of the staff and we have to think about like each of the system. It's not like the easy system because once it's wrong, the money will go, which is very important. So they should be very careful. But the other side is make the every revolution has been so slow. I mean, the system outside of the money has changed quite frequently, but this fintech field or the banking field is quite slow. So it makes things very difficult to move forward. But it's happy to see that someone like you or your team is joining this field and trying to make some change. But you go back to the end or go back to the basic in your uh, idea, what is the goal or purpose for the fintech? Yeah, so that's the interesting part. And this is also from my own experience, you know, being a different fintech company, even in the most advanced fintech company, you can always see the two or three groups are kind of uh, working with each other or then more be specific, more like have opinion about each other. So three part is the first part is the product and tech side. We want to make things faster, better. 
and there is a finance side. They want to make the finance people. It was a hey, we want to make sure this making money, this makes sense. There's a unit economics, right? And the third one is the legal or lawyer. It's like oh no, you cannot do this. Yes, you can do this. So you know, it's interesting. But if you see the different fintech company, you can kind of get a sense that、uh, usually one party will get. Client from each other, so the kind of a list the, how they do their product, and it's my common daily life to fight with legal product counsel, uh, and then to fight with finance team saying no, this is not the right way, no, that is not the right way. So I think a lot of the fintech for the past five years, people either come from tech side or they come from finance side. It's really hard. It's really too distinctive, and we all we both we all hate uh lawyers, right? But it's it's a really very different areas, and it's very hard to find people who understand both sides. So it's a common daily life that they will want to fight with each other. On the finance people, what they think is, hey, does the product going out? What's the loss rate, right? Is the lending is expensive? What's the underwriting model? What's the loss rate? And what's the return? Then you know. What they reflected on the revenue, and can we get all the monies correct? So everybody wants to, you know, get the product better. But finance people are thinking about it about how can I have a better revenue, top line number, or expenses and lower expenses. That's usually how the finance people think about it, and they think they're an expert of structuring the product, especially for lending. It comes into capital market. It becomes a very different way of structuring a product, you know, underlying financial operations. So. You cannot blame them that they believe they are the expert in this area, so they think technology is more as of a way just do whatever they think, and everything should be built next day, right? It's easy, just like spreadsheet. On the technology side, for sure,、uh, a lot of that focus is on I can build a system better, more automated, and then we can innovate it on the experience and the interaction. So everything is like. It's a really better product. Otherwise, it just sucks. A lot of experiences sucks, and a lot of the technology sucks. Like, why are you using file? Why are you not using API for that? So, for sure, in the tech people, they don't think the finance people knows about any technology. They are the one who create the product. So it really is very conflict of view, and there are a lot of discussions or debates always in every fintech company on who should taking the lead of deliver a product. For sure, over the years, people are getting better. But if you're coming together、uh, to think about what you want to achieve for fintech, everybody call it fintech. Is like, hey, we want to bring the top line. We want to make more money and make more people use our product, and then to make more money. At the same time, we want to automate and streamline all the processes, all experiences better. So you want to increase your distribution of your product. You want to reduce less operational efficiency. You want to be more innovative. It's the same goal for the both sides. So in this case, what really what we can think is both sides can actually work together. For technology, is there are certain ways that you can technology is being involved. It's not just experience, but it can also reduce a lot of operational risk and efficiency that keep your financial into control. And the finance side, they need to understand the way they understand how to do it. It can be differently. And comes into the very popular topic right now. Everything is AI. People finally realize that technology can help you make a lot of decision rather than we have to follow. You know what's the past way of doing things. So what's really most important is if you want to create a new financial product that is you know beneficial to more people or making more money or distributed to more people. It really is. We need to understand when you get a product out there, what's the underlying risk 
financial risk, product risk, and compliance risk that you are taking. And then taking that as a principle, change your technology design and the approach or the product structure or the uh, operational structure altogether. And then that is very hard to achieve if either side of the party, finance people, technology people, or compliance people, to say you have to do it my way. It has to be people come back to the first line principle of understanding Okay, this is what we try to achieve. This is what we can do right now. So say, for example, if right now our fraud detection is way better, uh, the data collection is better, we can collect more data during the workflow of the people you know, operating on the application and opening accounts. We can collect more different data on the account, not just the hard PI data, but maybe some behavior data, or we can use kind of a model detection way better than do we really have to go through all this verification that you have to send your ID to it? No, we can actually identify some people are high risk, some people are low risk. So because of a technology enablement, then we know the risk is under control. So we can reduce some of the compliance steps. And then with this kind of principle set up, there will be a way better experience for adoption and a way better product being created. So it's really hard to say who should take the lead rather than we all know this is what we need to do and then change the process and change the concept and then change the adoption of technology together. And personally, I do not think it can be done, but you'd be only one party of it. You have to be in the middle that you need to feel not afraid of challenging. And this is kind of my daily is that I have to go around, we're a small bank, so we are really small, so everybody just a hands-on. Even though like Jackie and all these, our executives that they are all senior, they are also hands-on everything. So I, as a PN, I will come and say, why are we doing this step? Can we reduce this step? What's the steps? And then our counsel will be very comfortable saying, okay, so for me, it's a risk-based analysis. It doesn't have to, but we need to do. So instead of putting like five steps of our workflow, I can say I reduce it to two, but I add 10 more monitoring when the abnormality, and then when there's abnormality, we can send it to manual review. So the overall 90% of experience will be way better, but then we can really put everything in control and maybe our performance is still better. Our risk is way lower than the previous day. So there will be a lot of challenges between, can we do this, can we do that? What will impact you on the finance side? our CFO and what will impact you on the compliance side overall. So that's kind of the day-to-day -day life I'm in right now. And then, but I do believe that's the right way of improving the entire industry forward. Yes, it's very important because what you are doing right now is like helping the most traditional industry trying to do the digital transfer, but it's still slow. So for now, you are directly go through the core to change the whole process, which will be very revolution, very challenging, but it's very important because you are like step by step and try to break down each of the working flow, try to break down every process and make sure that something you can really hacking that or like changing that which is very important for the whole industry. Yeah, and I think it's a very important part is it's kind of important to have the people understand about technology in the mix of personal view. This is also experience being Bay Area, right? You are in a, kind of in the center of the top of the technology involvement. If you only buy from the best vendor, the best vendor's technology is always 20 years behind from Silicon Valley. And yes, for financial services, you don't need the most, you know, top technologies. It's not like the first program language you use, you have to be the first one. But if you have someone understanding the technology, it's more of a, in this discussion, we can say we can do it this way or that way. 
and they will never get it from a vendor because vendor they already build that and then they will tell you so they will only want you to do it one way so at least for me you know coming from Taiwan and that's what I've seen there is a uh, treating of an online technology understanding as just a tool not an enabler and then it really takes time and resources to develop in-house technology experts that can really bring into revolutionize how the bank operates. So those are actually a lot of value, even for me, because I am really lucky to have a both backgrounds. So sometimes I'll design a system in one way and the engineers say, no, I want to do this and that. And I have to tell them, there's a reason we cannot do it because for the financial reason, we need to keep our books up to market so yes you want to do the real time but we don't need the real time but at the same time the way you do it you're putting us into a different risk the data is not represented clearly so there are a lot of this conversation happened between me in the non-tech side to just to say this is something we can do so let's change it or me to the tech side and say hey there's a reason finance or legal the underlying reason is what we need to do it so your current solution wouldn't work you have to change it it's really interesting to be in the middle of it and then i do believe though with more and more investment in the past three four years i saw that hundreds of millions or billions money pouring into this industry so more and more tech people join the finance war and more finance people join the tech war the infrastructure will be built there will be something come out so in the next five to ten years there will be a, a new generations of better financial products coming out so we're up, coming up to the end of our time here on the podcast thank you for joining the chat today so cassie do you have like last common or words want to share into like our audience yeah, so I think reflecting what I just said, what's the most important is that my point of view is we all know some industry is hard to change and then we are all complain about it. Financial service is one of them. Maybe healthcare is one of them, you know, because we all know because they are important. That's why uh, we want to make sure it works. But really comes into the approach of doing things instead of like rejecting or do not do something risky uh, or the taking a passive view, we can take a more active view of always taking a risk-based approach of principle and then uh, combine knowing that what's the risk we're taking, control the risk, and then having using technology to help on that because uh, in the past it's all controlled by human, right? So using the technology to help at that and then kind of uh, using that as a design thinking or design principle, then that's how we can really change it. Instead of over-indexing on either of the area, we're really just not improving as much as possible. If you want to really change it, you need to change the fundamental. So that's what I learned a lot right now because business leader, we have a very forward-thinking legal leader and a finance leader. For example, our CFO was previous CFO for Lehman Brothers. So we know someone, we have someone that who know how bad things will become if you don't manage it well. And we have someone who really want to really change the industry, Jackie. And then we have someone, the legal counsel can help us to taking the risk-based approaches and then give us the framework of what are the flexibilities that we can do in there. So I kind of enjoy a lot of this discussion with them, but the work is challenging for sure because you cannot make mistakes or you can make mistakes in very little way and then you have to find it right away. So that's kind of my point of view. That's why people think U.S. is more advanced in a lot of these financial regulations and it can be a way that all the other countries can look into and that's why kind of a U.S. fintech has been more booming than other countries. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to that because I hate, you know, the annoying, boring, like banking uh, 
process, but I'm so looking forward to new things happening in the financial services. So thanks again for tuning into today's show. I will see you next week on Stop Island Taiwan. Thank you. 